Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petri. This episode of Slam the Gavel is sponsored by CPS Protect Consulting Services. Child protective services cases are among the most frightening experiences any parent can endure. Don't face them alone with urgent assist by CPS Protect. You get the peace of mind to raise your children as you see fit. And the personalized assistance of their team of expert child welfare consultants, former CPS investigators themselves, right when you need it. Get started absolutely free at cpsprotect.com forward slash register. Also, go to the site, pleasedoyourjob.com and sign the petition. We need 2,000 more signatures to get a case reopened. That's pleasedoyourjob.com. I've got a brand new guest on. I'm very happy to have Donald Jeffries on. He started out researching the JFK assassination in the mid-1970s as a researcher with Mark Lane's Citizen Committee of Inquiry. His best-selling books have been lauded by the likes of Ron Paul, Naomi Wolf, Roger Stone, Jesse Ventura, Cynthia McKinney, and Cynthia Sheehan, and... uh, among others. I'm so sorry. He is a podcaster and writes regularly on Substack. And we're going to talk about his article, The American Loneliness Phenomenon, which sounds very fascinating. I didn't realize he had read this until we had talked earlier. So how are you doing this morning? Fine. Thanks for having me on, Mary. <laughs> so what brought you to write even all, all these books? Well, I've always been a writer. Uh, I, that's what I always, I mean, I'm one of the few people that uh, grew up to do exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, I, it didn't happen. I didn't get published until much later in life. Mm-hmm. But once I started getting published, and it's not, you know, I'm up to 10 books now. So, uh, and I've got, you know, I've got one coming out in a couple months. But uh, I, I love putting my thoughts on paper. I love communicating. Uh, that's why I like doing interviews and I do my podcast. So I'm a I'm a communicator, whether it's oral or written, and uh, I always have a lot on my mind. So uh, I'm interested in, you know, lots and lots of subjects. I'm interested in the world. I, I, uh, I'm dismayed at the state of the world, so I always have something to say about it. Uh, definitely. And people always ask me, well, how do you write a book? I'm sure people have asked you, well, how do you write a book? And it's like, I always start at the beginning. I, I go in chronological yeah. order. I think you either... You either have it or you don't. You know, when I was a kid, I was writing short stories and poems and mm-hmm. saw there were lots of songs. I picked up the guitar and was doing that for a while. And so I was always, you know, getting my creativity out. And I, you know, I still think of myself primarily as a novelist. As a novelist, I only had one novel published. I have a couple others that I think are the best things I've written, but I can't, I can't seem to interest people in them. And it's much easier for me to get the nonfiction published. So uh, this kind of happened. You know, I kind of gravitated to this. Uh, by necessity, but I, I I like doing it. I you know I have uh, people all over the world that read my work, and it's it's very gratifying. And definitely, the more you write and the more books you publish, you know it just grabs people's attention. And what you're you're on your eleventh book now? Well, I'm working on yeah, I'm working on my eleventh. Yeah, the tenth one will be out in a couple months. Yeah. Wow, because I see them all behind you. They look they look very interesting. <laughs> yes, they're always strategically placed. Behind yes, <laughs> and they should be. They should yeah. be. <laughs> yes. So, you know, how did you come across the American loneliness phenomenon? Because it seems like a lot of parents in America are either estranged or alienated from their children. 
Yeah, and, it, and that's part of it. That's part of it. I mean, the American Long Term, I just I have the statistics in there how how so many more people today live alone. They're a single family. There's more single family, a single person household mm-hmm. than has ever existed before. And then, of course, you have all the people who uh, didn't maybe choose to live alone later, had families, and, and then ended up in a nursing home or a retirement community by themselves, often uh, not visited by their loved ones or seldom visited. And uh, we saw that was exacerbated by COVID because mm-hmm. lots of people died without seeing their kids for, or whatever. Or they didn't. And so you know, it was awful things happened, as we know. People died of broken hearts in there, way more than COVID. So uh, this is all part of it. But the parental alienation thing, and as you know, knowing Heidi, my her story moved me. And uh, I've uh, since then, I've met, I had a, you know, a, a couple of women that... Uh, that loved my work that wanted to take me out to lunch, I guess, months ago. And, and one of them was telling me her story, the same kind of thing where she hasn't talked to her kids in a long time and she doesn't know why. And the next door neighbor where I live, uh, we, you know, my kids grew up playing with their kids and she hasn't seen her daughter in year or heard from her daughter in years. And she doesn't know why. So that kind of thing, it just, uh, it baffles me. And I live in fear of that happening. <laughs> Hopefully that will never happen with my kids, but that must be just, uh, just a terrifying thing to consider to know that they're alive out there and they're and they're not you know choosing not to contact you for whatever reason. And once you have the other hand, I also know young people who uh, contact me whose parents have kind of uh, abandoned them for whatever reason because they're not they're not up to snuff. You know, they're struggling. They may have issues. Maybe they were into drugs or you know, whatever at one time, or uh, they made poor choices in life. And uh, I've known, you know, I know a guy that was sleeping in the woods for a while, sleeping in a car, and his parents had plenty of money, and they just, uh, he still doesn't have a car. And uh, so, you know, these, there's so many people out there that uh, I find out through these young people that don't even have transportation to get to their really crappy jobs, and they don't even pay them enough, and they have to wait some of their money on Uber or taxi or whatever, cars or bus, bus stops near there, so. It's a big problem. It's a widespread parental alienation isn't the only part of it. That's probably the saddest for those of us parents too. It is. It you know, it's when people their older kids become estranged. It's they could start out alienated and then yeah. still end up evolving into estrangement. Mm-hmm. Or do you think it's different? Do you think parental alienation is one separate? entity where estrangement is another one but i think sometimes parental alienation can evolve into estrangement yeah i think so but i I, what what really interests me the estrangement thing you know people are emotional and uh certain i mean i have a large family and we've had that happen in the past i heard about it i heard you know i i mean supposedly uh my uh the legend in our family is one of my grandfathers or great grandfathers and a great grandfather. Uh, he, the soup was too hot for him one night. So he walked out on his wife and they've been married for like 40 some years and they never talked again. So I, I don't know if that could possibly be just have been, I don't know, but so you have marriages breaking up of stupid things like that. You have right. Siblings that don't talk and we don't know, you know, there's almost every, almost everybody I meet or have heard from, because when I talk about this stuff, they'll let me know their own issues. Mm-hmm. Almost every they, they all have a thing where, well, I haven't talked to my brother in three years. And especially since Trump, so many people go, they stopped talking because they just broke off the relationships, which never happened before of some kind of issue, really. And but the, the children is 
different because the people I hear from, like Heidi and my neighbor and some of the others, there doesn't seem to be a reason. Maybe it's, I, I don't know, because I, I I don't know the situation. And the other side would always say, well, it must have been something. Maybe they're looking at it through from their perspective. But you hear about it so often. And I think that the media plays a role here. And I talk about the role of media. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, movies and television shows push this theme mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, I, I think I remember Rhoda or something. Going back then where... Um, it was like a catastrophe when her mother was going to visit. I mean, it was the worst thing ever. Oh, my God, my mother's coming over and her gal pals are they're all roll, rolling their eyes. Oh, you know, like they, like she's going to have to go have brain surgery or something. They're, they're so upset about it. And that theme was pushed relentlessly. If you look at all these shows, the, uh, the adult children and their parents are at best interfering busybodies that are unreasonably trying to... Or at work, they're just complete idiots, maybe sex-crazed, 90-year-old. I mean, nonsense that doesn't happen. They mm -hmm. always make them look like buffoons. And sometimes the old people don't want to be as involved with them either, you know, in, in this media. And I think the people absorb that. Mm -hmm. And I think, plus you have the phenomenon, as in my neighbor's case and so many others, where uh, uh, so many adult children decide, well, it's boring to live in the same area. Mm -hmm. get, so they just relocate somewhere usually way far from home on the other side of the country. So, of course, that automatically guarantees they're going to see their parents less and less. And, uh, and I think, again, I think there's pressure on that because if you're if you're still living in the same hometown where you grew up, a lot of people think you're not cool. Oh, well, there, what are, you, what are you doing still there? Why don't you see the world, see the rest of the country? So I think part that's partly about it because it, that, I think, builds up to alienation at least it's not a strange way because if you're if you're on the other side of the country you're guaranteed you're only going to see each other once or twice a year and then mm -hmm. again you watch the movie how many movies and tv shows you watch about families getting together at thanksgiving and bickering and oh god uncle uncle so-and-so is going to talk you know, again they absorb that so you see haven't seen each other a year you come to thanksgiving and you know it, it, it you kind of uh prepare for that so it's it's a huge issue but i i just get the sense that it's i know this didn't happen 150 years ago it just it just well people couldn't travel you know like they can't mm -hmm. either that contributed mm -hmm. to it but it's a huge problem and I, i've heard from so many people and it, it affects an imaginable amount of families i also think disney has contributed to this immensely uh have you seen the film little manhattan no, I haven't. But I, it doesn't. Oh. Anything Disney does doesn't surprise. What, what are they doing? <laughs> oh, well, in the movie, it has a good ending. I can tell you that uh, it's a touching film. But you know, this this I don't know, sixth, seventh, eighth grader. He likes this girl, and they kind of you know have a little relationship as a boyfriend and girlfriend. It's cutesy, mm -hmm. and um, her parents take him out to dinner with them. And that was her saying goodbye because she was going off to, I don't know, some other school. But mm -hmm. he says to her, do you think you'll grow up hating your parents? And she goes, probably. What? And I'm going, okay, okay, this is this yeah. is the grooming of the nation. Yes, yes, that's what it is. <laughs> A different kind of grooming. You're exactly right. Why? why? Again, why would you? And it's, this is, I mean, my book, Polyocracy, which is the, probably the book, of all my books I've written, it's probably the, the most interest to your audience. It's more social. It's about bullying in schools and the school hierarchy and the bullying in the workplaces. And it, it talks about cliques and, and it kind of bleeds over in what we're talking about. 
because people, again, I think life imitates uh, art. Uh-huh. And I, I believe personally that entire situation was created uh, in the 1950s. Movies like, um, you know, uh, The Wild One with Marlon Brando and Without a Cause and all those films that catered to teenagers. The teenagers weren't born until the 50s. There's no evidence that before the 1950s, like the say 19, 1850s or something, teenagers uh, suddenly at age 12 started rolling their eyes and thinking their parents were the dumbest people in the world as they do mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Every kid does that. doesn't matter how close you are to them. When, when they hit puberty, they suddenly think you're dumber than their you know, most ridiculous friend. They think mm-hmm. you know nothing and they're embarrassed of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that starts it out because you have to navigate through that and then hope the relationship gets reestablished when you become adults. But I, I think this is kind of an extension of that. And uh, so what you're saying, that grooming thing, that's typical for Hollywood to throw those poisonous messages out there. Why would you, what do you mean? Why would you, it'd be different if they're showing their parents are beating them and abusing them. And okay, yeah, you probably would hate your parents. But right. if, if you're, they're, you know, being shown as you know normal loving parents, why why would that message come out there? But you're right, and it's it's great you notice that line because those are the kind of things that are just buried in there and thrown in those films, and and they get absorbed by the public and impressionable young kids. Right, and also going back to the fifties, they did a remake of Mildred Pierce. I don't know mm-hmm. if you got to see that, but uh, no, but I know I've seen the original. Oh, yeah, the original, but <laughs> the one with Kate Winslet that they did the remake was really good. And I know they did it, I think it was a four-part series, mm-hmm. but it showed how this alienation between her and her daughter evolved. It was really almost self-explanatory as to how this happened to Mildred Pierce. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah. I can't say enough. I guess good things about that movie, but it showed parental alienation out loud. Well, that's good. I, I, I'm just familiar with the Joan Crawford, uh, I guess, uh, the original one. But um, and I think that it, well, that's good to hear. And well, and and they explored the theme that I think is struck most often because I think you see more often it's adult women. I don't know if the, if the statistics are more that uh, certainly in the cases we know of, maybe few cases I've mentioned, it is girls. I, I, I get the sense that maybe girls are alienated from their parents more than boys. I, I just think, and I, I, but, and I think that's because media, modern media, the messages go out to girls. Mm-hmm. And you, you just, you know, Mildred Pierce or something like that, that would, that's between a mother and a daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can even go to Imitation of Life or Ted Rachel elements too. Oh, but, yeah. You know, right. just, that was excellent. Yeah, so that's the same kind of thing, but it's uh, you know, there's a the, the, that was a little different because the daughter was embarrassed because she didn't want to be black and that that, but it, it played into the mother daughter, you know, uh, relationship and that I think is I don't think you get the sense. I mean, there are I've heard of fathers being alienated from their sons, but usually in that case, there's a reason. Like I know, you know, I I work with a lot of the January six people. I've had them on and uh, people that are you know. That are controversial a lot of times or any kind of whistleblower you know for Heidi is the whistleblower queen uh right. lots of times their families reject them just because of the whistleblower because it embarrasses them it uh because every the society is you know not welcoming the whistleblowing they're trying to demon they're they're not concerned about what they're pointing out they're concerned about why are you pointing it out and so I think that uh that 
a lot, sometimes you'll see, like, you know, there were sons and daughters, both, for instance, that turned their parents in for January 6th. There's lots of them. So they all the authorities said, hey, you know, that's my mom on TV. I mean, and to me, that's just a, I mean, I don't care what you think politically. That's such a, you know, a betrayal. Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. think that you're, I mean, it's not like, you know, your parents, you know, that they, you know, they had a, some kids locked in their basement or abusing them or something. So you're talking about they went to a political rally, regardless of what you think about it, for a flesh and blood to, again, that's the themes that family is constantly being demonized. The family is, is under attack, has been for a very long time for a lot of reasons. And so people don't, the blood is thicker and water thing isn't true for most people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's it's a shame because that's you know what ultimately especially if you're dealing with governmental corruption and everything that uh, family is a, is is a place where you can go and a safe haven and you know that okay I have my family at least but unfortunately more and more people don't have their family. No, that's very sad, and that is a good point. It's happening, and it's being noticed more. And these parents are wondering, do you, you know, what what did I do wrong? And it's like, yeah. oh, I, you know, blame blame social media, blame Disney, blame these films that have come out to, you know, also their their mates at school are telling them what's going on with their parents, and yeah, then they're very susceptible. I know their brains aren't fully developed, mm. uh, but where is the family loyalty? Yeah, yeah, and you're right, and it's and again, it's, it's the the messages. You know, you you had the perfect line. So you think you're going to grow up hating your parents? It's almost expected. It's you know you're expect. I mean, and it's ironic because one of the, one of the things I talk about in the American uh, loneliness phenomenon is that the phenomenon of adult children living in the home now because of the economics rents are so high and uh, the job market. No matter what the what are the official statistics say, the job market is horrible, especially when they shut everything down. It's it's never recovered from COVID. So there are so many people that economically have one of my my son lives at home and he's in his thirties and it's because he can't afford an apartment anywhere. Right. And, right. and so that and that's he doesn't want to. And and that's the problem is that there's so many people out there that are in that situation. So uh, that's part of it too. And maybe that exacerbates it because I guess if you're have older kids living at home. Maybe it's the, the parent-child relationship can't be the same, and it's hard to kind of adjust to that. You know, have different adults living in the house when that relationship is there. But that's all of this. I think plays a part in it, and uh, it's 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 a shame because. Uh, but that could be one good byproduct out of it because again, up until um, the post-war boom, most people don't realize the way Americans look at something like the Waltons, the Walton Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, three generations of that, that happened a lot back then. That was the norm, you know. If you had right. back then, if you had a a lot, you because every family's always had people. If you had an eccentric aunt or, or, or uncle, a lot of somebody would take them in, and mm-hmm. they lived with the family. They didn't, you know, it, probably because they couldn't make enough money for whatever reason, that they couldn't live on their own. And of course, grandparents. You, there were no such things as nursing homes then. Mm-hmm. They all lived together if they lived long enough. So. Maybe one good thing that'll come out of that is people will be forced to have three generation homes again. I don't, I don't know if there's a good side to this, but the parental alienation thing is something different. But it really bothers me again because you, you know I don't know if you're a parent, but if you're if you're you know if you have children, it's, it's a frightening prospect to think that one day you. I mean, I, I you know my heart breaks every time I you know read something from Heidi or talk to her because it's 
Mm-hmm. But you think, God, they're for the grace of God. That could happen to you. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. It's a very complex thing, but I, I'd certainly like to. And I'm trying. I'm going to try to do a show soon and try to have Heidi and a couple other people. I'm asking for people, hey, if you're going through this, maybe I have a pay. Or you, oh, okay, well, wonderful. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, because I'd like for people to compare the stories. And get, if there's a sense in anybody, I don't know, in your case or whatever, is there a sense anywhere with Heidi, there's no, you know, there's no sense at all. She just, you know, we get everything right. And, and right. that's what I would think of one of my children. I, I would, so, I don't know, are we all missing something? Is there something there we don't know? I don't know, but it's, you know. I also think it's the generation, again, the social media, the yes, yeah. uh, colleges, I think yeah. so as well, as well as, unfortunately, CPS and the family court system contribute to this very effectively. They do it very well. You've got, well, like in my case, this is why I wrote the book Raised by These Wolves, which Heidi is featured in. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just, an unfortunate experience when your ex is married to a woman who enjoys her job in the courthouse. Oh boy. So, is yeah, that it, you or that's is that me? You? Oh, right. Geez, and the thing yeah. is, she couldn't have kids of her own and she always wanted to be a nurse. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking there was maybe some jealousy motive in there. I don't understand. Oh, sure. But she effectively turned my daughter against me. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was from day one. Mm-hmm. and it just evolved into a big nightmare <laughs> hence mm-hmm. the book dismantling family court corruption why mm-hmm. taking the kids was not enough but i don't understand when you could be really good to your almost 17 year old and have a good discussion with them and the next minute they are out the door and you're getting a call from cps the same day Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're talking about I, yeah, yeah. That's and that, and that oh, yeah, you're right. And me, yeah, and myself. Oh, you too. Oh, you too. Yeah. So you see, yeah, wow, that's I. I can't. I even again. I I don't have that experience. Thank goodness. And uh, but I can't. I mean, yeah. I might. I I I get upset because I don't hear from my daughter as much. You know, <laughs> I said I have to always reach out to her most of the time. But mm-hmm. and that frustrates me. But there's that. You know, that's that's nothing compared to what you guys are going through. But. I don't understand what it is. Again, I think there's not uh, the messages they get. You know, if you remember a long time ago, uh, one reason I liked the group uh, 10,000 Maniacs back in the day. Oh, Ellie, yes. Ellie Merchant. Love that. A, yeah, she had, a, she had a song called Trouble Me. It was a big hit. It was a big video. And it was all about her, you know, saying trouble to, a, I guess, her grandmother or somebody. Trouble me. I'll take care of you. And uh, that was such a an anti uh mainstream narrative message because the message is hey your your parents first of all your parents don't even have to be old they're bother roll your eyes and you know oh god i gotta eat dinner with us torture well we gotta go you know i can't i can't you know i can't spend more than the minimum amount of time with them that's the message in, in culture but here let alone taking them if they get aged and they have something i mean i and i know people that are doing that it's wonderful that uh you know there's a woman i know on uh, facebook that uh is Gorgeous. She was almost a Playboy playmate, and she was on the periphery of Hollywood for a long time. But she got you know, the sibling. She's the one that got stuck, basically taking care of her father, and she's doing it. But she's kind of bitter about it. But uh, there, so there are people out there. I've known other people that took care of their aged parents, but it's rare. And and I think they get they get resentful because they don't. Nobody gives them the recognition they deserve because it is a rare thing now. 
But uh, mm-hmm. so for, for and that's why I love that video. And I loved Natalie Martin at that time, because it was such a different message, you know, because we, we treat the elderly. I've written about that in the way we treat you compare it to the the orient especially any any asian country really any non-white country uh they treat their their elderly completely different than the western world does actually america and canada and australia uh you know maybe maybe italy and greece are still have something but everywhere else elders are revered mm-hmm. in america they're carded and i think that's part of this whole phenomenon is that there's no respect for parents there's certainly no respect for grandparents and, uh, and it's all because the family is being discounted in media and denigrated. And, and uh, you're, no, you're, you want to talk about your, you know, the, uh, the village, you know, the, the larger picture. Let's talk about the country and the government, not the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, also, when the phrase came out, it takes a village to raise a child, that was yes. a huge mistake. Yes. Was, uh... um, that's where yeah. the family <laughs> broke down. Mm-hmm. And that's why I use that term village because that was a, when I wrote a, I, I wrote a sub stack of, I can't remember, I wanted something, it takes a village something. I, I, you know, people can look at my sub stack and see that kind of playing off that while back. But uh, yeah, and it was, it was a, a message from a, 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 a usual suspect. Said that, But again, it was trying to discount the family and the, uh, the idea, and we see this today, I think, and the schools, you can't discount what's happening. Look what's happening now. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like having small children now. Oh. To be going to school now and knowing that there's a possibility that your son or daughter would come home from school one day and say, hey, you know, I, I, my, my pronouns are they and them. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gender fluid. I whatever stupid term. I mean, just admit, and then you, you already have in, uh, I think it's a town in California, in my own state of Virginia. I don't know if they ever passed the law, but they've already criminalized it in England. Where if you if a parent objects to this, they can be prosecuted for not supporting their children and transitioning. So that that throws a whole new element. And you talk about parental alienation. Imagine how these numbers are going to skyrocket because mm-hmm. naturally, any sane, rational parent is going to object to this. It's like, oh my God! And what you know? What are you talking about? That's you know, this is a this is the most drastic change you can make. And I I just had a. Uh, uh, a girl who I, I knew when she was young, my sister used to watch her, and it was no surprise to me, tragically. But if you looked at her Facebook page, she was, um, you know, she was really out there. She had two boys, and both of them I could look and see that they were gender fluid. And, uh, you know, every post of hers was, you know, woke and, you know, all. And so, it, anyhow, the 22 year old or 20 year old, I think he just recently killed himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked back at when she recovered, and I saw she learned nothing from it. She's doubling down on it and talking about how, you know, how and it, the suicide rates for those kids are through the roof mm-hmm. and they don't have many numbers to draw on yet. And so it's I think this is all part of the same problem. So I my hat goes out to any parents now who have to just just, just looking at some of the TikTok videos of the teachers that are teaching these kids now. I, I would be homes. I don't know how we would homeschool because we would have had a hard time affording it before, but I think you'd have to at this point. You're, you're sending them into there. I mean, that's just a whole nother subject because they're learning it on social media, but they're also learning it in school. Right. Right. And I hate to say this, but I don't think it's a safe place to bring a baby into this world at this time. Yeah. Yeah. I would. And I, it's it because. You know, and that's part of the, uh, I call it, you know, we have a pro-death culture. 
really, because we couldn't glorify death. And we, we were anti-life in all aspects. I mean, that just, you know, we minimize it all the time, especially human life, especially. But uh, you're right. I can't. And I, you know, I want grandchildren and uh, get frustrated that neither of my kids have them yet. And, uh, you know, but on the other hand, the back of my mind, I'm saying, God, look at all the things I'm saying about the world, how messed up it is. Uh, I want them, you know, it's their decision. Anyhow. But I mean, I, I would still obviously welcome them and, and celebrate. But yeah, it would be in the back of my mind. God, if I, if I get a grandchild that's going to be transitioned or something and, and be mortified by that, because it's gods are growing more and more because that's what they're pushing nonstop in the culture and, and in schools. Mm-hmm. That, there's no place for that in uh, grade school to middle school. No. Uh, <laughs> there's yeah. absolutely no place for it in the schools. How about that? Yeah. Uh, I, they're just approaching this very wrong. They should just let these kids enjoy their childhoods yes. and just... It, be themselves and relax. Yeah, their- well, Go ahead. Well, I'm saying, because again, why are they, you, you've got any number of men in jail across the country who had sex with their 16 year old girlfriend when they were 18. Mm-hmm. It was considered statutory rape, which is to me is what's kind of the most biologically normal thing you can imagine, really. But uh, that's still considered a crime. You've got kids that, kids that were underage that that were uh, arrested and prosecuted for distributing kitty porn by sexting pictures of themselves. They exploited themselves somehow. They, they criminalized that. And you it's still, you know, a crime for unless you're a celebrity to have anything sexual with a minor. But so if, if minors can't have sex legally, mm-hmm. how can they change their sex legally? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, un, and, and with no parental involvement. So the, it's a complicated question there, but if you're right, there should be, why should sex be discussed outside of sex education class? Like when I was in school, we had the boys and the girls separated and right, education. Right. Now it's, you know, it's it's just nonstop talk and, what are you, and the teachers are encouraging it. So what are your pronouns? When you throw that out there to a young, impressionable mind, and especially if they're perceived as Hollywood saying, this is cool. This is the end thing to do. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe I will. I'm going to get some good attention if I change my pronouns. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's a very, it's a disastrous situation. Definitely. And there was a case where a girl did um, transgender. I don't know how you say it, mm-hmm. but uh, she did commit suicide. She walked in from, in front of a train. Yeah. And I, I've heard her mother speak on on Facebook, and it's just very heartbreaking because it all started in the schools yeah. without telling the mother. They're, they're saying, well, it's just well, I don't know what they called it, a reading class, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, but don't tell your parents we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you really yeah, can't trust the school systems. Even even with my case, you can't trust these school systems. <laughs> I don't no, think. I, I well, my heart goes out to you, and that's the whole. If anything they say where you can't trust your parents, because let, let's 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 say there was some teacher, some right wing extremist teacher. I mean, as impossible as that sounds, who decided to tell the teacher, you know, the kids, well, you know what, we really like the Nazis, we like Hitler, but don't tell your parents. Right? What do you think what happened to them? <laughs> if a parent found out, I mean, the, the you know this this is very it's insidious because. You should, a parent should be, I, I, when I went, my kids were little, I went in there every week. I had lunch in the cafeteria. I helped out in the class because I wanted to see what was happening and establish a relationship with the teachers. But I don't know how now, if I went in there and I started seeing that stuff, like, if it, I mean, they probably might, 
not do it in front of parents, but if I get an inkling of that, I'd have to say something about it. And of course, I right. would suddenly be not become popular. But um, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a messy situation. Your kids are obviously younger, so I don't know if you you said seven, almost seventeen. So you must have caught some of this, I guess. No, actually, they're all aged out. Thank God. This all happened back in twenty fifteen. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So I had I was up against uh, a judge who was colluded with the opposing attorney. And as soon as we walked in the courtroom, the opposing attorney said she's mentally ill and she's alienating the kids from the father. I I never even heard of the the term alienating. I went home and looked up. It's like that never, ever happened, that liar. And I was warned that he was a perpetual liar. He was a big problem to the family law community. And so I knew how this case was going to go. It was already finished before we walked in there the judge would drag it out the judge also participated in child psychological abuse when my son told him what he wanted was to go back to 50 50 like we had been for the last seven to ten years Mm -hmm. until this woman got involved but anyway the judge came out and my attorney ran to me and she said they twisted his words and it's like oh so we're just going to keep this as it is as myself a non-custodial parent uh, they you know these courtrooms are just yeah. as dangerous and i tell parents stay out of them yes avoid them if you can it's a money pit but when you're being dragged into it by a personality disorder then you, that's a whole different bird mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well and you're right I, i've done several shows on uh what cps has done taking kids from parents uh, the, the courts are just and i've i've had both sides i had a woman that was, uh, had evidence of her husband beating her and all because usually typically these courts usually and it, it sounds like you're an example of this too most of us have the impression that uh the courts favor women favor the mothers i mean that's what you hear mm-hmm. all the time and i i get plenty of men that tell me those stories but i've had i'm hearing a little bit of your story and i had a woman on the show that was ridiculous it was so obvious that uh and she was being abused and, and this husband was the bad guy, but uh, or ex-husband. And but he was friends with a cop or something, I, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. These, these things playing. And that's it's it's not right. But the, yeah, you're right. People should stay up, stay away from the courts well, for any reason. I had heard the pendulum has swung back over, you know, for over 40 years. They took custody away from the fathers and they pounded them for child yeah. support and alimony, yeah. whatever. So now. In the last 10 to 15 years, the pendulum has swung back and now they're going after the mothers and mm. still the fathers, the good the good fit ones, because I don't want to alienate the good fit fathers that I deal yeah. with. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of personality disorders, not only among, amongst the judges and the attorneys, but they will not look at evidence, which is also a huge problem. That's also a podcast on, on its own. <laughs> but... When you have a judge writing no contact orders to, you know, myself saying no contact via iPhone, landline, iPad, iPod, and no holidays or Mother's Days. Now, there's an alienator right there. Oh, yeah. So th- this is a, this is a court-enforced alienation. You're, you're basically saying they say you can't see your daughter under any circumstances? Or my, or my younger ones, correct. Correct. Oh, that's, that's well. Okay. See, also CPS got involved, such as Heidi's <laughs> case as well. Yeah. They come into your home, and they're so their temperament. They're just so bad behaved. I, yes. I I've never yes. met people so inept and 
no couth. Yeah. But to come into your home and then scream at you, look at your refrigerator and then leave and then yes. come back again yeah. and spend another two hours screaming at you, telling mm-hmm. you that, you know, you're a lousy parent and you must hate your ex more than you love your kids. And I'm trying to like process that. What the hell is she saying? Because he and I, we, we always got along until mm-hmm. this thing came involved. Right. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so if, if I could prove the CPS caseworker knew and and or was friends with his wife that works in the courthouse you know i would love to hire a detective on that one <laughs> yeah well and you're and you're right so there's those kind of entangling uh connections that we have that, that affect so many cases but you're, you're the cps thing you're right there at all of us you know anybody that supports the cps first of all they, they've been they've been connected to child sex trafficking you know, like oh yes beverly yes. Schaefer in georgia she was the most notable critic of cps very loud critic she and her husband were found dead mm-hmm. these people they, under very strange circumstances so cps is a yeah I, i've never heard a good story from them at all but you're right when they when they put you under a microscope who i i don't want anybody coming in my house and just looking finding okay well, let me see if i can find something i can Oh. I, I can, you know, it's terrible. Who would want to live like that? Oh, exactly. In fact, a fun, well, this is kind of a funny story. I don't know how to say it, but the caseworker called up my psychologist, who's super cool. And she said, you know, I want to come in and talk to you both and let the mother know she's going to be indicated and she'll probably end up losing her job. And I don't want her to be suicidal. So, so my psychologist calls me up and said, this is what she said. And we both laughed on the phone. Uh, like uh, that's uh, the farthest thing uh, that's yeah. going to happen as far as me being suicidal. Yes, they cost me my job. But when we were all in the room, my sister-in-law, Joy, started screaming at her because my sister-in-law had left a message. Call me. I want to give my side of the story instead of this one side of interview, this false narrative that you people are going by. I also had my husband, Brad, there. He was sitting there and I was. I brought out my phone. I said, we're going to record this ses- session. And I rattled off all the names. No one objected to the recording. And then as she was leaving, you know, she said, well, you're indicated and you're going to be losing your job as a nurse. And I said, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she says to my psychologist, that woman lives better than I do. And then she opened the door and I said, you all have a nice Christmas now. And I could hear her, her pleather cowboy boots pounding down the hallway, getting out of the door as fast <laughs> as she could. I, you, These people, you can't underestimate them because they will retaliate. They do. Yeah, and I, I've heard this story. I've had people again on my show that lost their kids to them, and uh, oh yeah, uh, sometimes it's triggered for a lot of times it's because they weren't vaccinated or a, a navy a, a nosy neighbor something you right you could just say oh, you know the kid looks undernourished or I think so and so is being abused you know and that's all it takes right and the thing is they were coming after me for emotional child abuse which was farthest from the truth of any kind and I was exonerated. However, I was exonerated too late because the hospitals at that time, do you remember the Sandusky 
Um, sure, Penn State, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania passed this thing. Everyone had to have child abuse clearances, state police background, and fingerprints. I could pass those two, but not the child abuse clearance because my hearing for the child abuse wasn't until like two weeks after the hospital was doing the cutoff and, and ter- terminating people. And I was involuntarily terminated. Oh, but <laughs> the following mm-hmm. month, you know, the judge ruled, the CPS judge ruled that, you know, I've been exonerated. My attorney writes me a letter that is gold saying, you have been a target. I I believe you have been a target for CPS. So I, that, I want to frame that letter. Mm. There's a number of things I want to frame, but, <laughs> but this is what they do. And I feel sorry for parents everywhere. And I heard Two out of, what is it? Is it one or three out of four families will be touched by CPS? There's some. I, well, it can it can happen. Like you know, when I was, uh, I remember being mortified when our son was uh, two or three. Uh, he had, uh, you know, sometimes fluke things can happen, but he he had had a freak. Uh, you know, he was very hyper. So he's a two two or two terrible times. Right. He's running around. And one of the times he's running around and sorry, we let him run around. He tripped and he hit he hit his eyelid on the, oh, no. uh, the playpen. So mm-hmm. he's cut he cut the eyelid. So um, you know they had to have you know they had to go but and then say that was it wasn't serious other than that. But so then probably not long after that a few weeks later, my grandmother I mean my mother in law was watching him while we were painting the kitchen and I still remember so I had a feeling or whatever but he, same kind of thing he was running around like this is what he did and he fell and he had a, he, he had a gash in his Another forehead one. yeah and so i remember after we waited there eight hours in the emergency room because they you know they wasn't serious and they made it and he was great you know then i was basically <laughs> he could do that when he wanted to be but uh they they told us that hey you know this is two incidents in this period of time so you know uh something else happens shop tech service is going to come in and i, I was mortified i said because he's so hyper i don't know he might have another accident who knows and and uh, so thank goodness he did, but that that scared me because I thought, especially, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have books out there or anything like that, and so there wasn't anything that they came in the house. They could, oh, this guy's just a person. He's a thought guy. Uh, they and, and he instantly want to take my kids away from me because of that for political reasons. But that that's the kind of thing where it can just be a fluke. You can have a couple. I mean, All right, right. Two year old boys are going to be bouncing off the walls, you know. But that's uh, it, sometimes it can happen that easily. Oh, very much so. I just, I don't know what to think. I just feel bad that, you know, people, oh, people think horrible of me if I say this, but yeah, I feel bad with people bringing babies into this world, these poor, poor babies that yeah. you don't know. You can't trust anyone. Yeah. It's terrible, isn't it? Because we want to, we want to celebrate life. And I think that uh, people are, are my generation, especially where we were canceled. Most of us had two kids because that's what they, that was responsible, you know, have your two kids and, you know, make sure you can pay for them. And especially white people, you know, they're the ones that absorb that. Okay. And you're responsible. And have kids. But um, so as a result, you know, the, the, our birth rate has plummeted, but, so, but on the other hand, as you said, the reality of the world is, what are you bringing them into? And now, especially if you you have to, most people financially can't homeschool. So if they have to send them to school, they can't afford private school. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many private schools, if not already, are going to start developing this thing too. 
Oh yeah, the, uh, private schools I've heard are not as safe either. What I have, and I'm sure you know this too, is these CPS caseworkers can go into a school and just pull a kid out of class and interview them in a room without a witness, without yeah. the parent being notified. That has to stop. Um, well, actually, parents have to start educating their kids, saying, okay, I know you're going into kindergarten. I'm going to explain this to you. But if someone pulls you out of class wanting to talk to you, say, I'm not talking to you until I have my lawyer present. Oh, that's <laughs> it's brilliant. Just just tell yeah. your kids that. Yeah. yeah, I think that'll nip that in the bud if all kids can just say that and then just zip it. And they have to be told, don't answer. No, nope, not answering any questions until I have my lawyer present. My lawyer has to be present. And uh, it, coming out of a five-year-old's mouth or an eight-year-old's mouth, keep it going. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, if they can, if they can put condoms on bananas, you know, at that age and, and you know, their pronouns, they ought to be able to say, I want my lawyer. You know, why right. not? So, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> they have lawyers for kids. So... Uh, this is the thing. I interviewed letourchildrengo.org, Mark and Terry Stamen, mm -hmm. and they're saying just abolish CPS. Oh, I, th I think I, I think yeah. I had I think I had them on my show. I think I've had somebody say that. Yeah, they're, the they're, letter, they're fabulous. Yeah. yeah, we don't need them. Okay, so yeah. if Johnny's getting beat up down the street, then just call the police and have them do their job. Then, mm -hmm. then someone said, well, you know, what do you do with these kids that come into the ER that are beaten? Where are they going to go? Yeah, well, there's, yeah. kin, there's kinship care and that's where they should be going is with, you know, maybe the uncle or an aunt and uncle that can <clears throat> watch this child until the situation is resolved. Yeah. And I, I think the problem is when, when there is real abuse or whatever, the emphasis should always be on whether it's divorce or anything else. The emphasis should be on trying to keep the family together, trying to work it out. But my my uh, impression is that when CPS gets involved, they don't want to keep them. They, they're 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 looking for something to break the family up. Oh, they're definitely. Looking for evidence. They're not. They're not. I've never heard of a CPS where you know worker walking around the house and saying, "Yeah, this you know I don't see anything that is suspicious here. I think you're probably right there." I don't think that ever happened probably in the history of CPS. And so they're looking. They're looking for the officers, and they should. Child protective services, yes, you you should protect the child, but you should also look to keep the child in the natural environment with their parent. Right, and that's what the police should be doing. Just eliminate eliminate these these homewreckers, because also what I've been when I talk to parents, the parents are saying that when they came into the home, they wanted the wife to divorce the father in order to get her kids back. But all oh, that's a lie, because she'll do that, and she still won't get the kids back. And it's a big mess. So essentially all that CPS does is they run into your house and they light a big fire in your living room and then they leave like nothing happened. Yeah. And no further services are needed. That's what I got out of my one letter. Mm. Out of, actually, I think two of them. And, and, and the, yeah. police are, or the police are never are always working conjunction with them. I've never, you know, I, I don't think the police ever independently say, hey, this, I don't know that they have the authority to do that anymore, but uh, it's, it's a well, mess. They, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, well, then law enforcement needs to be re be having training. Okay, CPS is gone. Now, this is what's going to happen. These are the protocols. Mm -hmm. Also, with custodial interference, this is another big one that's coming down the pikes from Texas, House Bill 969. Law enforcement is going to have to be trained on how to handle when a parent is withholding a child from 
another parent when there's a court order in place. They have got to know how to handle these situations and they're going to be learning pretty quick. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's, I, you know, again, I think that this is, uh, it's, it's really all part of that. And, you know, when I, the loneliness phenomenon, it, it kind of grows out of this, but I really didn't address that as much in there, but I have people I, on my, I protest podcast. I, I, I had Heidi on there before Heidi's interviewed me many times, but, um, and I've had, I've not about this, about her issue. Uh, she, I'm going to do that. And you, it would be wonderful to have you there. And I'm, I have a couple other parents that may, because that woman I said that took me out to lunch, uh, she, uh, she, I'm trying to get her to talk about her kids because, again, she doesn't want to talk about it. It's too painful. But I said, you know, maybe it'll help. Maybe maybe somehow one of them will hear about it. I don't know. Because I mm-hmm. that's what I tell Heidi is that hopefully at least one of them comes to their senses at some point. But I, I, I don't I don't. You know, again, I because I, I think that it, again, I think they get that from the media is that, uh, you know, it's it's going to be too late. You, know, you never know what you know. Your parents are older; anything could happen. And you know, I, I can't imagine having that on your conscience. That God, if I'd just gone and talked to mom or you know something, and, and you can't do it now, right? But I, but, but I, maybe they don't have that anymore. They, that's been beaten out of them as well by a society that lacks empathy. Right. And and their friends saying, oh, you, you don't need to talk to your dad about it. No, just. Yeah. yeah. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel yeah, guilty. <laughs> it's on. Yeah. So you've got these, uh, this new generation with this new train of thought. This is really bad. Really, really bad. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's, I'm so glad I wrote my first book because one of my adult children who was getting alienated he was getting he wasn't as bad as the first one the first one i haven't really spoken to since all this happened uh we we did have one meeting but that's another story but he read the book and he called me up and he said mom i'm starting to remember things and at that time we were both angry at each other because of a school incident Mm -hmm. That I can talk to you about on your podcast. Okay, okay. Well, uh, I, I, I'm I'm amazed you read your book because I mean I I, I I have people that you know I hear from all over the world that, that, that every day they talk about how much they love my books or my, but it's never anybody I know ever that knows me in real life. I, I don't think any if they've read my books they're not talking. Uh, well, you never know. I mean, <laughs> because <laughs> when he said I, I'm starting to remember things, I said, "Good, go back and read it again." <laughs> and then then we got on to the how I had lost my job at the hospital. Yeah, and this was a big thing of contention because again, the attorney was a perpetual liar saying that I voluntarily quit my job in January when in fact I was involuntarily terminated in November 23rd of 2015. So that was the thing of saying, go back and read that letter. That's not the truth. That that lawyer's a liar. That's why they call them liars for a reason. And so we so then you know that got sorted out with him. Then the book. So I was grateful for that. So I always tell parents, you know, write something, write, write a book, write write a pamphlet, um, do something. Journal, keep your thoughts. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, and that's why I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Substack, and I'm actually making a little money there now. You can do that, and. Uh, it's a it's a great place and anybody like if you're not doing it you or I don't know if Heidi does or not but uh, you can write about these things you could because you're right about anything there and potentially you can get thousands of people 
to maybe, and if you write about what you're going through, this kind of thing, that, that might be an enter the parental alienation blog or something and, and write about it there. And you, maybe you'll hear from people that you haven't heard from that, mm. that like Substack and say, oh, like, cause that's just the, I, when I've touched on these kinds of things, I hear from people all the time because I talk about families and I talk about dysfunction. I put in there about how many families I, that I've met. There's, there's so few, like I, last week I interviewed, uh, you know, you never know who's going to be a fan. Um, this guy had been, you know, emailing. I recognize his name. And uh, but he uh, is the brother of the guy that plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. So, the, you know, there's it was, it was kind of a, a weird connection there. And he's really into my world. And he has between his father had two different wives. It's like an 1800s thing where he has like 15 siblings or something like that. I said, well, and there's really no dysfunction there. And I said, well, man, I especially with a family that large, I said, you're like a one in a million is everybody I talk to. A, a, when you scratch the surface a little bit, well, you know, the brother hasn't talked to sister. The parents haven't talked to one of the kids. It's always there. And uh, it's I, there's so few people that are like, you know, the, the Leave it to Beaver households of the 1950s. And uh, I don't know what your experience has been, but I, I've met very few. I mean, we're, we're all intact here, but my larger family, you know, has had lots. Of Mm-hmm. Oh, you kind of broke up there. I didn't hear the end. Oh, sir. Oh, and I said, uh, the, you know, the larger, my larger family, you know, cousins, and uh, I, I know several instances where they haven't talked to each other for years, and siblings or whatever, and kids, you know. Right. And some families are small enough, uh, enough as it is. And yeah. really, all I have is two cousins down in Alabama and one cousin down in Texas that talk to me. <laughs> Other than oh. that. Let's that, see. Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, that's terrible, right? I well, have, you, well, you mentioned you mentioned the sister-in-law and your brother. They must thought that it was advocating for you. Oh yes. Well, that was um, through my husband. That's his sister, and his, oh okay, yeah. So thank God for his family because okay. his family totally welcomed me and my children as if they were their own. Oh, that's so. That was a great experience, and unfortunately, my mother-in-law and father-in-law have passed. And that is really a bummer <laughs> because these these were good people that seriously, the nicest people, of course, those are the ones that go first. It's never these yeah. other evil people, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the old expression. Yeah. Oh that's my it. goodness. But yeah. yeah, how how can people reach you if they have any questions on this? topic of discussion or any other questions well that you know i'm i'm because of my if you give a look at the titles of my books they, they, they might run in fear or something <laughs> i'm controversial but uh and i i purposely you know that's what i gravitate to i i, I write about controversial things so people will see instantly by the title of my books and uh in Substack, uh, uh Substack is the only place i'm not shadow banned for instance the book i wrote about covid masking the truth it's the most shadow banned book in the world barnes and noble just they just took it off their website, and they won't give us any explanations. Not even there anymore. Uh, libraries, every it's been blocked everywhere. They played all kinds of games, and that's what Chat Shadow Man. I've been Shadow Man on Facebook, Twitter. Not Twitter's easing up a bit, but uh, what they do, but they block your ability to reach people. I had a big following on Facebook. They just once COVID started, I started writing about it. They just started blocking my posts and uh, <clears throat> holding them up so that people didn't see it. And uh, they're still doing that. So, but Substack is the last free speech platform we have out there. It's just a giant blog where you can write about whatever you want. And so I, uh, I write freely about everything, and uh, people can subscribe in there. It's the only place I'm not shadow banned. It's Donald Jeffries at Substack.com. 
It's called I Protest, which is the same title for my weekly podcast, uh, I Protest, which is on rockman.com and uh, over my YouTube channel, live streams there as well. That's the easiest place for me to for people to find me is on Substack. And uh, I ask anybody who's interested to subscribe there. You'll find the American Loneliness Phenomenon that we talked about is pinned mm, okay. at the top of the page. It's an older article. But I write about personal stuff. I wrote about the death of my brother uh, during the, the COVID nonsense and uh, things like that that people responded to as well. So I, I write about personal things as well as uh, social and political issues. Well, I'm so honored to have you on and that we were connected by Heidi Weber. Shout out to Heidi yes, Weber. Yes, Heidi Weber, <laughs> the lovely Heidi. <laughs> so, okay, don't jump off. Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth, and Raised by These Wolves, How Family and Federal Courts Are Failing Our Children. You can find me on Spotify, YouTube, Anchor FM, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, other platforms I don't even know about. But feel free to donate, to buy me a coffee to help support the podcast, and you can find that in the podcast notes. I thank you, Donald Jeffries, and I'd like to have you back on again as well. My pleasure. Anytime you want me, Mary. Great. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.